This is Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Here's a preview from Pastor Cody of today's message. So many times the reason we struggle with God's will is not because God isn't revealing it, it's because our lives are so filled with so much other stuff. There's so many other things competing for our time, competing for our minds, competing for our emotions, competing for our affections, competing for our money. There's so many things competing that our lives are cluttered with stuff. And because they're so cluttered with stuff, we don't know which way we should go. You see, what God promises is that your will will actually become His will as you're submitted to Him. How many things are demanding your attention, even right now? So many times we come up short on finding God's will in our lives because we allow our days to be occupied by other things. Even as you're listening, you probably have an ongoing list of a multitude of arrangements that need your soul attention. Today, Pastor Cody reminds us that when we submit to the will of God, our priorities get aligned to the one that already has life figured out, and he's ready to declutter the piles of junk in your life. Now, turn in the Bible to the book of Romans chapter 12 and join Pastor Cody for today's edition of Redemption Radio. The world is pressuring us constantly to be like everybody else, to be like the world. And the fact is that when the church is indistinguishable from the world, we forfeit our power, our ministry, and our witness. When the church just looks just like the world, when we do what the world does, when we think the way the world thinks, when church is not a time to meet with God and to worship Him and honor Him and glorify Him, instead it's an entertaining talk and maybe some concert that's going on, which I'm not against lights, I'm not against sound systems, I'm not against technology, I'm not against any of those things, but when it is indistinguishable from the world and nothing different is happening, then we are losing our power as the church. When we in our individual lives, not just gathering together, when we in our lives are indistinguishable from the world, if people can't look at you and know you are different, then you've lost your power, you've lost your witness, you've lost your ministry in this world that God wants to use you for. You see, we're told that we need to be in the world, but not of the world. It's what Jesus spoke about. So one of the things I think about is we just actually went over this in our life groups. So our life groups are traveling through Genesis. So we're traveling through Genesis. And this past week, we were in the section in Genesis 19 that talks about Lot. And Lot's, you know, he's living in Sodom and Gomorrah, and Sodom and Gomorrah gets destroyed by fire and brimstone raining down from heaven kind of a thing. These angels destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we're going through that. And something that's really weird and interesting is that 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8 talks about Lot being righteous. That righteous Lot was being tormented by the world or the system of Sodom and Gomorrah. And when you read through the account in Genesis, you have a hard time coming up with Lot being righteous. You have an easier time of going, bro, was jacked up. Like, what? Why did you do some of the things that you did? There's some crazy things taking place. I mean, Lot offered his daughters to be raped by a homosexual mob. Lot had to be dragged out of the city by the angels because he wouldn't just leave. He wouldn't go where the angels told him to go. They were like, hey, you got to go to the mountains. He's like, well, I don't really feel like going to the mountains. It's kind of 
kind of scary, kind of far. Can I go to this other town? I'd rather go over there. He does that. Lot's wife looked back at the city longingly toward the city, and so she ends up turning into a pillar of salt. Later on, Lot's daughters actually get him drunk and sleep with him in order to have kids. Like, this is a crazy, insane chapter of Scripture. And then you read in Second Peter that righteous Lot was in this place where the world was tormenting him. And so you're like, what is going on? Here's the way that it works. There's a couple of things. One is that God is so gracious that he can look at our lives and you might look at your life and sort of rose color it, make it look all nice and pretty and you know, forget all about the, all the bad things. And you're like, look, my life's pretty good. But God looks at your life and he sees all of the stuff that's like Lot and he still counts you as righteous. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. That's how amazing God is. Here's another thing that's applicable to this, that though Lot was righteous, how much of an effect did he have on anybody around him? None. Not even his own family. His wife rejected the Lord. His kids were in utter rebellion against the things of God and gross sin. And so Lot, though he was considered righteous, he had zero effect on his family. I would submit to you the reason why is because he was in the world and he was a little of the world. The world's mold, he was getting crammed into it. He wasn't experiencing what we're being told to experience here in Romans. Jesus says it like this in John 17, 15. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. This is a prayer in John 17. It's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus, where he's praying not only for his disciples then, but for you and me as well. And Jesus says, I'm not praying that you're taken out of the world. I'm praying that you're kept from the evil one. God has this amazing, crazy power and ability to sustain you. Here's an analogy. I love this analogy. Here's a way that you can think about it. You ever notice that when you catch fish and you're going to, maybe you don't eat fish, but I like fish. So if you're going to eat fish, you know, you got to catch the fish and you bring it and you prepare it all and everything. That one of the things that you have to do is you have to make sure that you salt your fish as you're seasoning your fish. Does that sound weird to you? That thing has lived in brine its entire life. Right? The fish has literally soaked in brine its entire life. And now I've got to salt it in order to season it. How does that work? Well, the fish is in the salt water, but the salt didn't get into the fish. Does that make sense? That the Lord was able to sustain and preserve the fish. So too, even in this world, though it's difficult and though you have trouble, the Lord is able to sustain you. Now notice there, not only don't be conformed, that's the negative, but the positive is be transformed. That Jesus doesn't want us to just fit in. That's not what he wants for you in your life. He doesn't want you to just fit in. The world is trying to cram you in so you just fit in, and Jesus doesn't want that. He wants you to stand out. His work is to get us to stand out. That in this upside-down world, you stand right side up. That you are totally different than the way that everybody else is and the way that things are going. See, God's preservation power is not only to keep you from being shaped like the world, but also to that word there, transform. The Greek word is metamorpho. Sound familiar? We get the word metamorphosis from that. The concept of metamorphosis being that you take a caterpillar, goes into a chrysalis, and it comes out as a caterpillar, right? No. No is the right answer. It comes out as a butterfly, <laughs> It comes out as something totally different. 
so different that you wouldn't even think that's the same thing. It's radically transformed because it is totally different. And so too it is with us in Jesus, that when we get in Christ, when we go in Jesus, it's entering into that chrysalis and that he takes us from who we were and turns us into who he wants us to be, that he transforms us, that we're not even anywhere near like we were before. It's like when I think about it and I tell my testimony of how I was before the Lord, it's like telling a story about somebody I don't even know. It's like a, a story about somebody else but it's me. I'm so radically different today that it's like telling a story about somebody that I don't even know. It's like a story of, of some guy that I heard about. James 1.27 says this, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress, listen to this, and refusing to let the world corrupt you. We don't need a cleaned up version of you. We need a changed version of you. Radically different, redeemed, transformed, metamorphosized version of you. How does that happen? Well, how does that take place? Notice there, it says, don't be conformed into this world, but be transformed by, here's the how, the renewing of your mind. Transformation happens through information. That's the way transformation happens. Transformation happens through information. That's a big part of why we do what we do here in studying through the scriptures. You need to know God's word because as you know God's word, it changes the way that you think. Information has the power to change your entire mind. Here, let me give you an example. Some of you are going to love this example and some of you are going to think I'm anathema. But the Harry Potter series, okay? This is movie series, Harry Potter series. In the Harry Potter series, there's a certain character, and his name is Severus. And as you're watching, he's this weird guy that's always depicted as like a bad guy, the whole movie. He's like shady, kind of weird, doing weird stuff. And you're like, what is up with this guy? The whole series, he's a bad guy. And then you realize at the very, very end, he's actually not a bad guy. He's actually the hero. I gave it away. If you haven't watched Harry Potter yet, then like, whatever. Like, if you haven't watched it yet, then who cares? Like, <laughs> you've had years. You've had, I don't know what it is, like 10 or 12 years to watch this series. So anyway, so he gets to the end and you realize he's the hero. Now, here's the thing. The only thing that changed was information. He didn't change. The stuff he did along the way didn't change, but the way you saw it totally changed because of information. Information has massive power to change your mind. And the best information you need, the biggest amount of information you need, is in your Bible. Do you want your mind to change? Do you want to think like Jesus? Do you want to be more like him? It has to do with how much of this you get in here. You're not going to get the mind of God apart from the word of God. And so if you're spending a lot of time praying about this thing that you want or this stuff that you think should happen and you haven't consulted scripture and you're expecting God to speak to you, then you're expecting something crazy. Especially if the Bible, there's actually a verse that says that's sin and you're expecting God to change his mind. You're expecting something crazy. It's not going to happen. Here's how Warren Wiersbe says it in his commentary, be right. God transforms our minds and makes us spiritually minded by using his word. As you spend time meditating on God's word, memorizing it and making it part of your inner being, God will gradually make your mind more spiritual. 
In some ways, it happens instantaneously, but for the most part, it's a gradual, slight change over time. That God changes your mind to be more like His. Which I've said before, and I'll say it again because it bears repeating. This is why we're so devoted to the Bible. This is why we spend hours looking at it and studying it and considering it because it alone has the power to supernaturally change us. Not some guy's opinions about things. Now, opinions might be nice, and maybe sometimes someone's opinions can have that ability to change your mind in certain ways, but not the way that you need in supernatural transformation like the Word of God. You see, the opinions of men are nice, but they're actually powerless. It's vital to worship God with your mind. And Jesus talked about it in Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Christians who aren't thinkers are abdicating their spiritual responsibility to worship God with our mind. God can handle your questions. God can handle your thinking. God can handle your your frustrations over things. It's vital that Christians are critical thinkers. And there's a big difference between being a critical thinker and thinking critically. You understand what I mean by that? Sometimes people think that critical thinking means I go around and I complain about everything. Well, that's bad and that's wrong and I don't like that. No, you're just critical. That's not what I mean by that. You have to think critically, meaning that you're willing to ask the hard questions. You're willing to wrestle over your faith. You're willing to mentally engage. Christianity is not a mindless faith. The reason I believe in Jesus is because it makes the most sense out of everything else. You look at anything and everything else. Atheism doesn't make sense. Buddhism doesn't make sense. Mormonism doesn't make sense. Muslims and and Islam doesn't make sense. Pick anything and mix them up and make your own religion. They just don't make sense. But when I think and I study through the scriptures and I actually apply my mind, Jesus makes more and more and more and more sense. You have to think and worship God with our minds. All right. Thirdly and finally, a will established in God. Look at the second part of verse two. It says this, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When your body is offered to God and your mind is transformed by him, then the result is that you will know the will of God and live in it. That's the result. That's what he says here. The natural flow is that when you are completely offered to God, you're all your body, all your mind, you're spiritually offered to the Lord, that everything about you is offered to the Lord, then you will know the will of God. A transformed mind produces a transformed will. A transformed mind produces a transformed will, and it happens in a very supernaturally natural way. And so if you're expecting to hear from God and to know his will by some sort of weird like thing to take place, then you are expecting something that's probably not going to happen. Yes, God does do things in some overt spiritual kind of ways from time to time, but if you're expecting God to move that way and to work that way, then you're going to miss God moving and working because he almost exclusively works in supernaturally natural ways. God, what's your will? And I just want you to like drop something in front of me or make an explosion happen that shifts my whole life or whatever. Yes, God does that every once in a while, but for the most part, it's not what he does. He absolutely will work in supernaturally natural ways. Philippians 2.13 says it like this. For it is God who works in you, listen, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
What that says is that God will actually put his will inside of you. That's part of the work of God. That he'll change your mind so that you'll have his. That's what God literally does. Alexander McLaren says in his commentary, to know beyond a doubt what I ought to do and knowing to have no hesitation or reluctance in doing it seems to me to be heaven upon earth. And the man that has it needs but little more. This then is the reward. I think that he nails that concept, that if we could just rest in this reality of God showing himself to us and being so close to him that he can direct our path is such an amazing thing. You see, God's will can be divided into general and specific. You know, generally has this thing that he wants, you know, in general, but very specific as well. He wants something very, very, very narrow at times as well. But here's the thing. In both of those, the general and specific will of God are the reward for those whose body and mind are offered to him and transformed. It's a submitted life that gets those. Not just anybody and everybody. God is so gracious, he might just share his will from time to time. But if you want to consistently live this way in the will of God, then it's going to take a submitted life before the Lord. See, a decluttered life from the things of this world can discern the will of God as he's placed it into them. So many times the reason we struggle with God's will is not because God isn't revealing it, it's because our lives are so filled with so much other stuff. There's so many other things competing for our time, competing for our minds, competing for our emotions, competing for our affections, competing for our money. There's so many things competing that our lives are cluttered with stuff. And because they're so cluttered with stuff, we don't know which way we should go. You see, what God promises is that your will will actually become his will as you're submitted to him. He'll actually put it in you. So God's will is qualified by three things. It's good, acceptable, and perfect. Good means that it's upright. It's honorable. It's always the right thing. God's will is always the right thing. God's never going to tell you personally what contradicts his word generally, right? God's never going to do that. Secondly, it's acceptable. That means it's well-pleasing. Here's the idea. I hope you can grasp this the way I mean it. (laughs) It's always what you actually want. God's will is always what you actually want. Now, you might think or feel like you want something else than what God wants, but his will is always what you actually want. That's really what it comes down to. It's acceptable. It's also perfect. That means complete or mature. It is purposeful. It is exact. It is precise. It's not just kind of loose and, well, we'll see how it all pans out. No, God is perfect in this. Now, even if you can't feel it, God is leading you and you can trust him. John chapter 10, verse 4, Jesus says this, After he gathers his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. Jesus is referring to himself as the shepherd and you as the sheep. That if you belong to him, here's what he says, you know my voice. Jesus promises this reality. He, he uses the shepherd-sheep analogy for his relationship with his people, and he simply and clearly states that you know his voice. So stop complicating it. You know when God's leading you. You ever tried to do something that was wrong, and you just felt the Holy Spirit saying, no, don't do that. 
there's that check in your spirit. There's those roadblocks in the way. There's all this nonsense. You're trying to just clamor over it in order to keep doing what you want. You're resisting the will of God. That's what's happening in that moment. You're trying to push your will and not going with what God wants to have happen. Now, that doesn't mean that just because it's easy, it's the will of God. No, just because there's difficulty and hardship doesn't mean that it's outside of the will of God. But what it does mean is that there's a difference between overcoming adversity and ignoring when God is not in this. There's a very, very big difference. You see, he gives you freedom to make lots and lots of decisions. What kind of socks do you want to wear? Do you think God has a will for that? Gray socks, black socks, white socks, no socks? What? I, I don't think God has a will for those kinds of things. What kind of house do you want to live in? What kind of job do you want to have? Where do you want to move to? I don't know that God has a will for all of those kinds of things. Now he might, there might be a time when God says, actually I do, I want to intervene in this moment and say you should do this. I'll give you an example. It's like with my kids. With my kids, what Micah and I have tried to do is our best to raise them with a biblical worldview. And now that most of them are teenagers, we sort of just kind of give them the opportunity to make decisions and sort of play referee along the way and try to help them say, well, if you make that choice, here's the consequences. One of my girls, she was invited to a a Halloween party a few years ago. So Micah and I were faced with, what do we do? Do we tell her no? Do we tell her, well, so we just sat down and talked to her and we said, well, I know you really want to go and and you really like this friend. So why do you want to go to this party? Well, I just love this friend. It's going to be so fun. I said, okay, so what do you think is going to happen at this Halloween party? And she goes, I don't know. I goes, okay, so go ask your friend. Go talk to her. Go get some information. So she asked her friend, oh, they're going to watch scary movies and they're going to you know, I don't know what else. They're probably going to eat till they throw up some candy or something, but the candy part wasn't a big deal. But then she's like, I don't like scary movies. I really don't want to do that. I feel like that would be a bad thing for me to do. And so we gave her the choice. What are you going to do? And she made the option. She made the choice of saying, I don't want to go do that. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to participate in the things that they're doing, even though she really wanted to hang out with her friend. You see, Micah and I had a will, but we wanted more for her to choose what she knew was right then we wanted her to have a will. It's like, you know, my wife and I, we came from uh, Southern California, moved here from Southern California. And if you don't know anything about Southern California, you, you know, most of the time people wear sandals all the time. And so my kids were used to that. And so when winter came around in Colorado, I told them, you need to wear socks and shoes because that was my will for them. Now my will for them to wear socks and shoes was because it's cold, right? You can't just wear sandals at all times. And so there might be times when something that seems obscure and like it's in your realm of being able to choose, all of a sudden God does have a choice. And he says, no, I do want you to wear socks today. And God does have a will. But in that, it's being submitted to him relationally. Knowing God's will is actually much more simple than we tend to make it. I'm going to end with this. It's really just this simple. Love God and do whatever you want. It's actually that simple. Now, for some of you, all you heard was do whatever you want. (laughs) You got to do the first part first. Let me ask you this. If you're loving God and you're submitting your body to him and you're submitting your mind to him, then are you going to want what's sinful? Are you going to want what's harmful? Are you going to want what's damaging and hurtful and wasteful? Is that what you're going to want? You're not going to want it. God's actually going to put what he wants inside you. So love God. And just do whatever you want. Here's the thing. Worst case scenario, you make a bad choice. And then what does God do? 
As a loving dad, he redirects your steps. He redirects your path. So amazing that God's able to do that. So move forward trusting in the facts beyond your feelings that God is with you, he is leading you, and you can trust him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for the opportunity to dive into your word today and just to think about your will. And we pray that, Lord, as we wrestle over this, maybe now or in the future, about what your will is, that, God, you would help us to rest and trust in you. That we know that you're good and that you're able and that you're God and that you have in store for us the things that you want to accomplish. So, God, we love you. We commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Redemption Radio as we study the book of Romans with Pastor Cody. Romans gives you an in-depth idea of what to believe as a Christian, but also how to apply that as you live it out. So think about it this way. Is what you say you believe consistent with what your life is living out? It's a bit of a heart check, right? Would your life be an accurate mirror to what you claim to believe from the Bible? We hope that you continue referring back to the book of Romans and the Bible in general for guidance on how to live your life. For additional resources and to hear this message again, head over to redemptioncalvary.org. You can listen to additional messages from this series, and you can also subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single message. Once again, that's redemptioncalvary.org. If you'd like to request some prayer about what you're going through or how things relate to what you heard today, you can reach us at 720-466-5358. Again, that number is 720-466-5358. If you're interested in knowing more about this ministry or want to learn more about Redemption Calvary located in Commerce City, Colorado, please visit our website, redemptioncalvary.org. That's all the time we have for today. Join Pastor Cody next time for another look at the Book of Romans right here on Redemption Radio.